0: We're happy to have Ron Kangas with us on the program again today. Ron, it's nice to have you back.
1: It's good to be back.
0: Today we come to the first part of a two-part message, continuing with Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is really a profound portion that we're going to be looking at today with the first proclamation of the gospel in the entire Bible. wonder if you'd set the stage for us regarding this first gospel proclamation.
1: God had clearly and explicitly commanded the man not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But man disobeyed God. The woman, according to her own words, was deceived by the serpent, and she ate of the fruit. She gave some to her husband, and he ate. As a result, humankind became fallen. The man and the woman became self-conscious, they tried to cover themselves, and they attempted to hide from the presence of God when he came to them with that first and most penetrating question, where are you? To be sure, they were in fear and trembling as they gave an account of their situation. God in his righteousness surely could have condemned them to death. However, instead of pronouncing a death sentence in Genesis 3.15, God himself preached the gospel. Yes, God is an evangelist. God gave the first gospel message recorded in the Bible, declaring that through the very woman who had been deceived by the serpent, a seed would be born who would bruise the serpent's head and simultaneously be bruised in his heel by the serpent. So what we have here is a great reversal of expectation. God, clearly unswerving in his purpose in creating human beings, decided not to destroy the man and the woman, but to save them. He came in the way of salvation, announcing glad tidings of a seed that would come and destroy the serpent. Adam eventually had a most positive reaction to this gospel preaching, for after hearing the gospel in verse 15, he named his wife in verse 20. He called her Eve, that is, living. This is the result of God's glorious gospel preached out of love and according to his righteousness to the first pair of fallen human beings. This is the good news contained and embodied in Genesis 3.15.
0: I like the expression you used, a reversal of expectation. Let's join Witness Lee with our life study today from Genesis chapter 3.
2: In Genesis 3.15, you have the first verse in the whole Bible as a gospel proclaimed to the fallen mankind by God himself. Amen. In God's gospel, you have firstly the serpent. If we go through the whole Bible, we could see the serpent is there. When we come to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 12 and Revelation 20 does the same thing. In both of those two chapters, we are told Satan has a name, the name of the old serpent. Who is this old serpent? You have to go back to the beginning. This name, the serpent. You have to see the serpent in Genesis 3. You have to see also the serpent in John 3.14. Many Christians, all Christians have seen the eternal life in John 3.16. But not many have seen the serpent in John 3.14. If we are going to realize what is eternal life, surely we have to understand what is the serpent. And the serpent is not only in Genesis, not only in John, I tell you, the serpent will be fully exposed In the last book, the book of Revelation. There, the serpent is fully, fully exposed. By reading the Bible, you can see through all the generations, God's divine word has a goal. Not only to accomplish something to get a body for his son Christ to express him, but also to get rid of the serpent.
0: Ron, in these two messages, we're seeing three main items, a serpent, a woman, and the seed of the woman. I'd like to ask you about a point that Witness Lee made regarding God's purpose and goal. Now, it struck me listening that on the positive side, God desires to gain a body for Christ. But it seems that he also has a goal on the negative side as well, and that is to rid himself of his enemy. Is it too much to say that God has a negative goal or negative purpose?
1: It's not too much to say, providing we have the proper understanding and emphasis. From my experience and observation with the believers over a number of decades, I have found that when the subject of the devil or Satan or God's enemy comes up, it's very easy to fixate on it in an excessive way. Nevertheless, we need to give the emphasis on the negative goal that the scriptures give to it. Genesis 1.26 speaks first, not of dominion, but of image. God's glorious positive purpose Is to have a corporate expression of himself in and through Christ, the Christ who is wrought into the believers to be their life and their expression. However, it is a sad but unavoidable truth that there is an enemy devoted to frustrating, if not destroying, God's purpose. The dominion mentioned in Genesis 1.26 specifically has the enemy in view. Primarily, we are here to express God positively. A secondary purpose is to deal with God's enemy. The very cross of Christ illustrates this twofold purpose. On the negative side, the cross removed sin, judged the world, and destroyed the devil. On the positive side, the cross released the divine life and the divine glory from within the Lord Jesus for the producing of the church. All the way through the scriptures from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God's purpose is overwhelmingly positive. We must see this, we must concentrate on this, We must consecrate ourselves to the Lord for this. But the more we are for God's purpose, the more concerned we will be about that evil thing which opposes God's purpose. And the more one we will be and the more open we will be to experience the Lord and know the Lord and be one with the Lord that we may fulfill not only his positive purpose to express him, but also his negative purpose to deal with the enemy.
0: Thank you, Ron. Let's rejoin Witness Lee.
1: Where is this serpent? This serpent <laughs>
2: in the garden through the fall has injected himself into mankind. Where is this serpent today? You have to be honest to say right in my flesh. The serpent is right in man. In the garden, before the fall of man, the serpent was outside of man. But after the fall, I tell you, that subtle, crafty serpent got into man. In Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus asked the disciples, Who am I, would you say? The leading one, oh, the dear brother Peter, he was surely a good leader. He right away answered, you are the Christ and you are the Son of God. Wonderful. Could you believe just after a short time, the Lord Jesus rebuked him? Satan, could you believe just one minute ago, he was a holy Peter? Huh. After one minute, right way, he became Satan. If I were there, I would check, Lord Jesus, where is Satan? The Lord Jesus surely would answer, Satan's here. <laughs> right within him. in Peter. You just tell me, sorry to say, when you are talking in that kind of way with your dear wife, who are you? When you are going to doing things in that way, who are you? Suppose by that time, the Lord Jesus would come and say, Satan. Satan. Where is Satan? Satan today is right in the fallen mankind. Yeah. We all have to be on the alert that Satan, the one who tempted and damaged The first generation of mankind is today within us. He is right within the mankind. Because Satan has injected himself into man. Man has become what? Serpent. In the eyes of God. You consider you as a man. Even the more, I do the same thing. But in the eyes of God, all the fallen human beings are serpents. Listen to all these terms given in the Bible. It says, generation of weapons. What does this mean? The serpent, John the Baptist called religious Jewish people Ye are the generations of vipers. You consider yourself as the religionist. And you are so religious, yet you don't realize that you all are generations of the vipers. And then later on, the Lord Jesus came out, and the Lord Jesus called them the same thing. Not only so, in Matthew 13, in the parable... Of the sword, the Lord Jesus said what? The sins of the wicked one. Who is the wicked one? The serpent, Satan, the evil one. He is the wicked one, and all his followers are his sins. And we all have to know, they are not Satan's adopted sins. They are the sins born of Satan. So in John chapter 8, 44, the Lord Jesus told them that your father is the devil because you have the devil's life. The devil's life, the devil's nature is in you. You were born of your father, so now you have your father's life and your father's nature. And this is why 1 John 3, 10 says, All the people who commit sin are the children of the devil. This is here. Who can argue about this?
0: Ron, in this portion, Witness Lee has really shined the bright light on the serpent. It's clear, isn't it, that the serpent is Satan. A point that may be a bit harder to understand, I guess, is the location of the serpent. But if I understand correctly, we don't really need to look very far to find him, do we?
1: Not according to the scriptures and not according to those believers in the Lord, such as our brother Lee, that have an amount of spiritual experience. Let's make it clear at the outset that we by no means deny or diminish the objective reality and existence of God's enemy, Satan, the devil. Unfortunately, many Bible teachers and theologians and preachers ignore the scriptural testimony to the subjective reality of Satan in fallen human beings. If we really know ourselves in the light of the divine revelation, we will take with utmost seriousness... The words of the Lord Jesus when he said, Brood of vipers. He said this to religious people. First John speaks of sinners being children of the devil. In John 8.44, the Lord utters a serious word about the devil being our father. His precursor, John the Baptist, spoke a similar word about a brood of serpents. The Lord Jesus rebuked Peter calling him Satan. In Matthew 16. In Romans 7, we see that sin is a virtual personification of Satan with his life and nature. In John 3.14, the Lord unveiled to Nicodemus that he, upright, ethical, moral, religious man that he was, was nonetheless in the sight of God a serpent. If we are truly enlightened, we will realize we not only commit objective acts of sin in the depths of our fallen nature, in the flesh, the corrupted body, not the God-created good body, we are serpents and need the seed of the woman to crush the serpent not only on the cross but in our very being. Yes, the serpent is not far away. He's within us. But the Lord himself is the remedy for this creeping evil one in the depths of our being. He has destroyed him on the cross and through the Spirit he applies this wonderful victory to every part of our being. Praise him.
0: Thank you, Ron. Let's go back to Witness Lee for the conclusion of our live study today.
2: Now, let us see... Who is the woman? Well, the woman in Genesis 3.15, firstly, no doubt, was Eve. And then secondly, all the fundamental teachers do agree with the one thing, that the woman in Genesis 3.15 was also the mother of the Lord Jesus, the Virgin Mary. Because the seed of the woman, there was the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus was born not of a man, but of a virgin, a woman. So his title is the seed of the woman. Right. But listen to this. The woman predicted in Genesis 315 has threefold significance. Not only the Eve Not only the Mary, but also the woman that is revealed in Revelation chapter 12. And we can see in Revelation chapter 12, the woman revealed there is something universal. Something corporate. Because 12 stars are upon her head. And under her feet is the moon. And around her whole body is the sun. This is something universal. In the Bible, the best way to interpret anything is to find the interpretation in other portions of the Holy Word. The same kind of vision has been told by the dream of Joseph. Joseph had a dream. He saw... The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars. You see, that dream as a vision is nearly in principle the same as the sign here. By that dream, you can see in principle the sun, the moon, the stars represent the entire body of God's people. If we look into the whole Bible, we can see all the people belonging to God could be classified into three categories. Number one, the patriarch. Number two, the Israel. And number three, the church. In Revelation 12, the patriarchs are signified by the stars. All the stars signifying the patriarchs. Then the Israel was signified by the moon under her feet. Because by the time of Israel, that was in time in the night. But when the Lord Jesus came, the sun came out. Then the church came into existence. In a sense, during this time, the church is in the day. So the church is signified by the sun. Now you can see this woman is composed with the patriarchs, with all the Israel, and with all the church people. What are these? These are the people of God. Counting from Adam, from Abel, Abraham, all the Old Testament saints, then all the New Testament saints, up to the time when the Lord Jesus will come back, including you and me, we all are included in this woman. How about this?
0: Well, Ron, in this last portion today, we got an introduction into this very interesting woman that first appears in Genesis and then reappears throughout Scripture. I think this point will need a lot of development over time, and I know that we'll come back to it in future programs. But would you begin to give us a little background on this universal woman?
1: A little background is sufficient here. The woman in Genesis three fifteen, first first applies to Eve, second to Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, and third to the universal bright woman, in Revelation 12, your question is related to this universal woman. If we study carefully the references to the sun, the moon, and the stars in Revelation 12, we will begin to realize that this woman is not an individual. That is, it is not the individual Mary, the mother of Jesus, but is a corporate woman, a totality of God's people. This corporate woman brings forth a child, a man-child. As will be pointed out in coming messages, the man-child in Revelation 12, born of the universal woman, a corporate entity, that is not the individual Christ. That is the overcomers, those who will carry out God's purpose both positively and negatively. In brief, we need to see that ultimately the woman in Genesis 3.15 will be a universal bright woman who will bring forth the overcomers to execute upon the serpent the victory won by the Lord Jesus as the seed of the woman on the cross of Calvary. We encourage our listeners to tune in to upcoming messages, opening to the Lord to see more and more concerning this marvelous universal woman. If your heart is open and your spirit is exercised, you will not be disappointed.
0: I'm sure we won't be. Thank you very much, Ron, for today's sharing. You're welcome. You have been listening to The Life Study of Genesis with Witness Lee. If you would like more information about this program, then please call 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or write to Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. You can also send us email at radio at lsm.org. For a free download of this program or to find more information, visit us online at lsm.org. If you've enjoyed what you've heard from this Life Study of Genesis, then we encourage you to freely distribute this program. It's available in MP3 format. Again, it can be downloaded from lsm.org free of charge.